On today's episode of Return on Intelligence, we speak with Valeria Pasca, Senior Manager of Global Learning and Development with Juice Plus. We discuss harnessing the entrepreneurial spirit of the Juice Plus business partners in a global learning and development culture. Well, I'd like to welcome our viewers back to the Return on Intelligence podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Valeria Pasca, Senior Manager of Global Learning and Development with Juice Plus. Welcome to our podcast, Valeria. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And I'm very excited to share with our, our viewers that Valeria is actually our first international guest, and she's joining us from London, England today. So that's very cool. And uh, thank you for your commitment to our podcast and for being a guest today. Thank you for having me again. Yes, um, I'm Italian as well. So double international for you today. Awesome. So let's just start with a bit of background, Valeria. If you can tell us about how you got into learning and development and uh, how you've just evolved your career in L&D. Yes, of course. So um, I moved to London um, right after my degree and I started working in a language school. So I started straight away with uh, within the teaching environment, let's say. And from then, um, I started a, a career that's now, now nine years in direct selling industry. Um, and seven of them have been pretty much dedicated to uh, to training in uh, various aspects of the business at Just Plus, um, especially from quality assurance into uh, sales training. And, um, and lately it has been uh, globally uh, for the learning and development um, role. So that's, uh, that's fairly new to me. It's been uh, just over two years. So great stuff. Great stuff. So um, if we could share with our viewers just a bit about Juice Plus and your business case, and then we'll roll right into the L&D strategy. That'd be great. Yeah. So um, Juice Plus is a, um, it's a global company. Um, we basically uh, are a direct selling business. So for those who don't know, um, we have a corporate side and then we have um, um, basically partners in the field that sell the products. So they live and breathe the product and the business, um, whereas we are the providers of the services and the product. So I hope that makes sense. That's great. Um, in terms of the focus of learning and development at Juice Plus, if we could just talk about the user groups and then the volume of users, which is quite impressive. Yes, we have a global structure for our partner training uh, at Juice Plus, as well as our employees. Um, so, um, as I said, in the direct selling business, um, the people who we are trying to support um, within our L&D function um, are self-employed, they are entrepreneurs, they are those who have to go out there and uh, do the sales of the products. Um, and we also organize learning content for the employee part. So um, it's, a, it's, a double, um, it's a double function. Um, in both cases, I want to say the um, the focus of the function is empowering people. So both inside, as you would see in most uh, HR um, departments, we try to empower employees, you know, to to upskill and develop. Uh, but when you look at the users that we have out there in the field, um, it's still to empower, but in a very different way. It's about self development. It's about um, you know upskilling uh, sales skills and so on. So uh, we provide uh, content for both groups. Um, and in terms of um, numbers, we have a total of uh, active users, um, which averages around 14,000 per month. 
Um, whereas if you look at our unique users since launch, which was in 2021, um, we're, we're looking at about 60,400. Oh, that's and, incredible. Uh, an incredible size of, of group, especially the monthly volume of 14,000 per month. That's, uh, that's great. Um, when we talk about empowerment with your partners, do you have a feedback loop that allows you to kind of adjust your needs in the learning and development? Or what does the feedback loop look like specifically with the partners who I would assume are kind of the majority of that 14,000 um, per month in terms of user, user activity? Yes, our partners are the vast majority. Um, actually, the corporate side is just over 400 users. So everybody else is partners. Um, yeah, we have different types of feedback loops. Um, we have, we seeking feedback before putting content out, while we are putting content out and after having put content out. So um, it's very important for us that we don't just create trainings for the sake of it. It's a... Uh, it's about creating content that's going to support them in what they need to do. So um, usually we have focus groups, we have surveys to find out what people need. Um, so once we have nailed down a topic, for example, we are very likely to do quite a few back and forths with our drafts with a selected number of our partners just to see what they think and uh, give us feedback on it. And usually the group is defined by their own skills. So if I am creating a piece of content on um, customer acquisition, I need to make sure that the partners we're giving feedback are very, you know, feel very strongly and passionate about customer acquisition. If it's about events, it needs to be someone who's doing events and so on. So um, we try and make sure that they are giving us feedback all along the way. And um, very often we will have testimonials from them. So we might ask them to be actually part of the training itself. Um, and uh, finally, we do use the ratings and um, um, we try and get people to um, make sure that they fill in their evaluation at the end of each course. So they let us know if they liked it, what we could have done better and so on. Okay, that's great. And so in terms of the L&D mix, do you use this feedback loop to kind of determine a best fit you know, in different international areas? Or, or how do you think about your L&D mix and what does it look like? Our L&D mix is, um, yeah, I, I do think that in the two functions, it's slightly different. Um, we do um, have a lot of online training, maybe about 70%. And then there's about a 20% that's calls or live trainings that we don't lead in L&D. It's the business development team that, that uh, kind of organizes those directly with the field and directly in the language that is needed. So each region can then provide what is required from their field, which is always different. No one needs the same thing. And then finally, we have about 10% uh, expert-led um, training in forms of workshop in person, online and blended, and on stage. Because we also have you know live conventions, events, um, where you can have a little boot, you can have uh, you know um, panels on stage, and so on. So um, very mixed, uh, if, uh, if I can ask that question. That's very good. And and in terms of the experts, I'm always interested to find out, you know, are the internal experts, do you use third parties? Is it a blend? You know, how, how do you go to market with, you know, finding expertise regionally? It um, It is different and it's varied. So um, we have both experts in the organization. 
Um, for example, I'm currently working on a fantastic uh, events training um, and a leadership training. And we have people in the organization that can provide content for those. These are the same people that will go on stage at our conventions, for example. Um, but then we also need experts that we don't have in the organization and therefore we seek out uh, speakers that can participate and, you know, um, provide their own expertise that we cannot um, we cannot do ourselves. Um, and yes, it's very different by region as well. So um, some countries prefer to have very inspirational leaders on stage or trainers. Some people want business uh, advice, very specifically, you know, from business people, people who, have, who have a CEO of another company or who have written books about it. Um, and other regions prefer more self-development uh, pieces. So more about how to really, you know, organize your day, get the best out of um, um, your, um, you know, your actionable um uh, tasks every day, you know, the things that you do to to gather more clients and more people in your team and so on. So, yeah, there's, there's a bit of everything. And it's not just L&D, you know, this is very much teamwork. So there's the, there's a whole event team, there's a whole marketing team, there's a whole business development team, and they all organize pieces of this. It's not just us. So we focus a lot on the online version of it. Got it. So it just to me, it sounds like you have a very exciting mix of of kind of online live training and, and experts. So, um, and obviously that's all about engagement of your audience. And, and uh, you know, I would imagine that you're trying to assist your partners, you know, in, in maximizing, you know, their, their personal return on investment and their ability to uh, work with Juice Plus uh, in these partnership programs. So, you know, Juice Plus truly is a global uh, learning and development kind of focused company. And I'd really like to dive into that. So, Maybe some stats to start us into this this portion of the pod. Um, like, how many countries and languages are you are you managing within your learning and development uh, program? So we have currently twenty six countries, uh, fifteen languages, um, plus uh, what you would call language variations. For example, you have Latin American Spanish versus uh, you know Spain Spanish. Um, you have French from Canada, French, you know, uh, from the European side of things. And then you also have different variations of German within, you know, Germany, Austria versus Switzerland, um, and so on. So, yeah. Okay. And so I can only imagine when you're trying to manage a, a global and diverse uh, learning and development team and the topics and users, et cetera, you know, are there regional challenges that you run into like GDPR or what, you know, what is the different challenges that you found in running a global L&D uh, program? The, you need to be careful with a lot of things. That's for sure. You need to prevent uh, as much as possible and work very much as a team rather than just the function of L&D. So we work very closely with our compliance teams and our regulatory teams because there's um, some uh, training topics that... Um, yes, are needed in all regions in the world, but they have to be addressed in very different ways. Um, just to give you an example, you know, GDPR is very much a European, um, you know, focus um, and uh, regulatory is much stronger in the European region compared to our North America counterparts. Um, we sell, clearly we have a range of products 
um, that is backed by research and um, you know, we have a lot that we would love to say about the product that um, we are not able to do in every country because depending on the formula that you're selling or the regulation and the laws um, of that specific country, the claims that you're allowed to say are different. And that's nothing to do with the product, it's to do with the law. So a training for our capsules, for example, which is the hero product um, for Denmark and for um Italy is going to be very different because the claims that you're allowed to say are um, diverse. And in our North America region, you are allowed to say a lot more about the clinical research and so on. So we have bigger trainings because there's just more that you can say. And it's all about trying to give our partners um, just the perspective and the guideline. Just be, be careful, you know, depending if you are, uh, you know, if you're talking to your European team members and you're from the US, some things that you can recommend them to use as a, as a lovely pitch that has been great for you, they might not be able to use. So that's part of the training as well. Got it. And so in terms of the, I'm going to call it regulation management by region, how do you achieve this? Do you have like local professionals assisting with you or is it kind of from head office? Like how do you approach that? Because imagine the diverse number of different regulations must be actually a handful to manage. It's a handful to manage, but um, the part that I have to deal with is, um, you know, is very small compared to everything that our um, regulatory team does. Uh, we have everything in house. Um, I'm sure there are consultants and, you know, the team expands as needed, but um, we have a global function within the uh, organization and also local experts. So um, whenever I'm preparing, for example, a product training, I make sure everybody is invited, everybody gets the review and everybody gets to leave feedback and comments. So I don't have to have the entire expertise because we have experts within the uh, organization that can give us, you know, some directions, thankfully. Yeah, you're very lucky. That's that's great. So just to tie up the the kind of international global focus, when, when you're dealing with regulations, um, and just the different mixes of, of you know, countries and, and cultures, et cetera. Do you strive for alignment? Like, is there, like, what is your thought going into aligning the messaging and the, the corporate learning and development and the partner learning and development within global territories? Like, if you could speak about alignment, I think that would be helpful. Yes. So alignment is, um, it's hard. Um, I think it's, uh, it's what you strive uh, towards, but um, it's also sometimes not the best approach. And the reason is that um, by trying to harmonize too much, you will eventually um, uh, lead to misalignment because you're going to overlook cultural differences and uh, different ways of talking about something. And uh, the regions are just way too many. And cultural differences is a um, is, you know, it's a value. It's not something that we should uh, try to push down. There's something very important, I feel, about trying to be perfect is not always the, the best idea. I always say we strive for 80% perfect. So 80% is great. Then there's always going to be that 20% of leeway that you have to allow the regions, you have to allow, allow the single country to be able to do what they need. And, uh, you know, we're just here to support. We cannot impose um, everything that we want to do. We want to do so many things. You can't do them all. And um, there's there's also something about the communication piece that 
um, I, at the moment I became aware of it, um, it really changed the way I look at things. And there's countries that, you know, are more explicit versus more implicit with their communication, uh, with their sales pitches and so on. There's countries that, um, you know, deal with feedback in very different ways. Even when you're giving feedback about, oh, you didn't, you know, you didn't complete this course or uh, you didn't make it this time, like try again, or, you know, you failed, try again. Like the way you phrase things can have an impact, whether people are coming back, whether they feel like they're learning, whether they feel like they're getting what they want out of the training you're putting out there. And um, a key piece that really struck with me was... um, I can feel it as an Italian, you know, living in the UK, for example, is um, some some communicate some cultures um, take communication um, concept first, and some countries um, use communication application first. So, as an Italian, I will tell you absolutely everything around something before I get to the point, and that's just the way. I was brought up, that's my culture, that's, you know, generalizing clearly. But in Italy, that's what we do. We could literally talk about something or nothing for hours for the love of talking. And in the UK, it's application first. So I'll tell you what we need to do and then I'll tell you why, which is very difficult um, when you're trying to create trainings, you know, um, in English first, because that's always our, our master file. And then it needs to be translated in so many languages. You need to take these things into consideration, you know? Um, So for example, if you want to tell people there is this law that you need to be aware of, and this is why, you know, for Italy, we might do it, Italy, Spain, you know, and France and so on. We might do, you know, this is, this is a case that you will find interesting. And this is something that you may want to know about this product. And this is something else. And the reason why all of this is important is this, because there is this law, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in the UK, you might do the opposite. You might be like, this is what you need to know. And this is supportive material that you might find interesting as to why that's important for you to know. That's just fascinating. So thank you for the the discussion with regards to this global focus that you have. I think something very beneficial with your experience in L&D at Juice Plus and, and uh, just really the evolution that you guys have gone through in terms of you know, your full-scale LMS launch is pretty recent. You know, 2021, you've got 60,000 unique users over 26 countries. Like, that, that's amazing. And and for that to have occurred, you know, you can just tell that you had a well-organized thought and, and launch of this new, um, uh, your, your LMS and learning environment. But could we step back and just change gears a bit and talk about how that evolution uh, move forward. Where did you come from moving to a full-scale LMS and, and what were you using uh, in the past? And how has that changed and improved your ability to deliver to these 26 countries? And again, as I keep mentioning, because it fascinates me that you have 60,000 unique users in you know just a little over two years. It's, it's just a great story. So if you could share, that would be great. I must say the, uh, the pandemic had a huge impact on pretty much everything we are doing right now. Um, I've been working with training within this company for quite a few years, as I said. And before the pandemic, we knew we needed to um, clean up our training materials. We knew we needed to centralize it a little bit. 
Um, we had bits and pieces everywhere, but it wasn't as urgent in the sense that our partners, as I say every time, they are entrepreneurs. They are fantastic at what they do. They they know what they're doing. We're here to support and you know help them you know do things even better and um, in a way that is compliant and so on. But it's not like they they don't have materials of their own. So we started very slowly and the first package that we got was uh, Articulate 360, which is it's a fantastic content authoring tool. We still use it. Um, and what it allows you to do, and I'm sure there's other ones, by the way, that do the same thing, but it allows you to have a preview link. So without having to export um, the course necessarily into a Squirm file, um, it helps you basically send this link that you can hyperlink anywhere in any document uh, for people to access the course. Clearly, uh, you will not have any visibility on who is doing it, um, you know, how many are accessing the link, how many are successfully taking the training, but at least it pushes it out there. And that's how we started. So that's how we started pushing training out. And then in 2020, Thank goodness we had that tool because we had um, an amazing evolution. We had so many people who signed up to become a business partner, you know, in Just Plus. And clearly it's because you could do it from home. You could do it via social media. You know, some people lost their jobs. They couldn't do their regular um, activities anymore. So it was it was a side um, hustle or something that they, they, they felt they could start um, to empower themselves in that period that was very hard for everyone. So um, we needed something very quick and I created this onboarding page, um, which we still have. It's literally a collection of information on each country. We did it in each of the languages and it just helped people onboard people. Like, this is what you need to know. Click on this link and you have a little bit of everything. And what it did, it it's it was the first time they had a training piece that we had available for them that they could share on WhatsApp, they could share, you know, in other ways without having to rely on mailing lists or uh, something that corporate would send, you know, um, to everyone. And that was the beginning. So um, then, you know, and this was the partner side. If you look for a second at the corporate side, we used a different uh, tool that was called uh, Percipio and it was a one of your standard, you know, training platforms with absolutely everything in it. So clearly our office, we have, we don't have people working, you know, um, you know, um, on construction. We don't have nurses. We don't have all of these jobs, but those trainings were still in there. So what we were offering was a very non-customized experience to the employees. So we didn't use it very much. There was not much that was, um, you know, ad hoc for anyone who was asking for training. It was just a box with a lot of things in it. And if you were, if you could find something you were interested in, great. Otherwise, you know, um, we, we didn't have another option. And, uh, and that changed when we decided finally, you know, to, to get on board with the LMS in 2021. And it started first on the partner side and then on the employee side. So was a big evolution. Yeah, for sure. And then I, I would imagine it just sounds like, you know, the biggest topic we talk about these days um, in, in different discussions with different stakeholders are really the move from centralization to decentralization. And it really sounds that in your evolution, you were decentralizing somewhat by empowering your partners 
you know, to create content and share that within regions. Do, did I get that right? Is that, is that kind of your go-to-market strategy uh, with the partnership? So basically what happened is I think centralization was the first step uh, and it was needed, um, as I mentioned, to, um, to be aware of everything that we had because um, the Juice Plus company as a company, you know, it also evolved. Uh, through the years, uh, we have um, we used to have more master distributorships, which means that um, there are uh, people, for example, our Canadian office, you know, um, it's a master distributorship still, um, same with Australia, New Zealand, um, whereas the rest of the company united under one company. And during this process, we, we strived for alignment, which was great. And that was actually a successful alignment um, through the years. But what happened is we found out we were all doing things very differently. So um, with this process, uh, centralization was needed for a moment to do a big cleanup of everything that was outdated, um, unbrand, not branded, or um, just no longer compliant. So it was maybe just slightly older information, and we needed to do that first. And then once we have done, let's say, the hygiene project, then it was about, okay, then we, we will give you the core and then you take it away and use it as you need. Um, so, you know, our partners, as I said, are, are perfectly able to prepare something for their team members, but as a company, we were lacking something that was aligned and centralized that it was part, it was corporate led, but the partners could rely on when they needed something. And um, after the centralization, we just knew it was never going to be 100% aligned globally, uh, not the platform, not the content within the platform. So um, we made the compromises where we could, and then we stopped there, as I said, the 80%. Um, and everything else is, um, you know, just different depending on the region. Sure. And in terms of managing this partner-created content, how do, how do you do that? Do you is that a centralized function or is that also decentralized for your your teams? So our partners, uh, there are some tools that um, are used in collaboration with Just Plus. Um, so we know that they are out there. So our hub, how we call it, our LMS is out there for them. And that's all kind of approved clearly from us because we are putting it in. Um, but there's so many other tools that they use, you know, there's, um, there's an application called Penny, which is a, um, personal assistant online. There's, um, boards. It's another tool that they use uh, a lot in North America and there's like many more. So what happens is they sometimes take from the hub, which is ours, what they need, and then they plug it into different applications, depending on which one they use with their teams and then they take it away and into those applications they can also add their own things um, so they add for example presentations videos other things that they have created um, to support the the way they do business so um, clearly we have to make sure that whatever we provide is compliant and uh, very much kind of controlled just to make sure that um, they have something they can rely on and fall back onto um, but they're also, as I said, perfectly capable of creating fantastic tools. Some of them created entire websites, um, you know, um, these are leaders in, in the business. So that's great. It's, it's, uh, I think it's so fascinating that you're working with all these entrepreneurs who, of course, you know, as you mentioned, create their own sites and their own landing pages and use your content. It's just, it's an incredible business case, to be honest. Um, 
And with that in mind, are you able to measure the evolution of maybe like return on investment from maybe Juice Plus's standpoint, but also from the partner standpoint? Like, do you see as your, you know, learning and development has evolved, are you seeing better results, you know, globally in terms of sales by partners and and the ROI that, that you are seeing at Juice Plus. How do you how do you see that? And are there any stories you could share with our, our audience? Yes and no uh, is the politically correct answer. Um, for some things, yes. So if you have uh, if you launch an incentive, if you launch something that is kind of new and you want to make sure you get the most people on board, you want to get the most people reaching a new level, a new position, a new achievement. Yes, because you can see how many people took the course. You can, you know, get some reports on it, see how well they did, and you can compare to people who didn't do it. So we did do um, something like that with our BI team on our compensation plan training, which is, you know, there's some maths in there. There's some, you know, it's not the most straightforward thing. It, it's one of the most complex things we have to um, get accustomed to in direct selling business. Um, clearly, you want to make it as simple as possible for people to be able to be successful like you want you want to simplify those really difficult rules um so we did a research on those who did the course um and those who did not take the course and we could see that there was like a percentage of people who made it to the next uh position quicker um for other things, I think the return on investment can also be um, calculated as the things that didn't happen rather than those who, that happened. So um, if you can see a, an improvement from the um, compliance point of view, so you know, people didn't get in trouble. Um, you know, there were no statements out in the press that was com they were completely uh, crazy. You know, you know, you've done a good job in training people what not to say as well. So uh, I think you can measure it in, uh, in different ways. And um, something that I try to share as much as possible with our leadership teams as well is the feedback that comes sometimes in those evaluation forms after the trainings. And we had a couple, you know, we had, um, we, we do have very good ones, to be honest, all of our courses rate between 4.5 and 5 out of 5. So there's nothing really that goes below that because that would be, you know, we didn't go, we didn't do a good job. Um, but some evaluation said, I wish this course was there when I started. I'm going to send it to all of my team members, like, because it's really going to help them grow. Then you know that you have filled in a gap that they needed. So... No, that's, that's fascinating. I, I always find it um, so interesting to just discuss return on investment or ROI, as everyone calls it, um, just with different leaders and, and to find out the perspective of how they share ROI, you know, with their, with their executive teams and with their management teams. Because I think, as you mentioned, it's not all about the numbers. And I, I think it's just great, your, your perspective on that. And I thank you for, for sharing that. I think finally, I'd like to talk about just your overall strategy as a learning and development leader running a global program and some of the things and notes that I've written down in our conversations uh, in the past and today is that you've mentioned that uh, L&D is the core of what Juice Plus is. You've mentioned, or it's just obvious to me that you guys are, are really embracing this entrepreneurial spirit of your partners in a way that 
it creates a community of of uh, Juice Plus partners. I would say I can just tell that you know the L and D effort. Um, probably in each region, you've got these amazing entrepreneurs that you're working with. Um, you're looking at eighty percent alignment. You know, which which kind of rings out other you know topics that we've talked about in in other episodes. But you know, good not perfection, right? Like we're not looking for perfection in our L and D programs. We're looking for you know, really effective programs, but we have to be cognizant of regional differences. And I think, you know, very important in a global um, uh, learning and development. So I guess my question here is really, you know, what advice would you have to someone who's just, you know, deciding that they need to go global with their learning and development program? And you clearly have done a fantastic job here, but what if you could, you know, when you're starting again and you're starting, what advice would you give someone who's who's been now challenged to go global with their L&D? It's a big question. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think having a global perspective on what you are offering, um, it really is key. We didn't know how many differences we had within the organization until we looked at it globally. Um, and you might think you're doing a really good job regionally, and you might do. Um, but what you're missing out on is ideas and perspectives that you did not uh, initially consider coming from other regions because you just don't look at it. You look at um, you look at just a little slice of the pie, um, and you're perfectly content with what you're doing. And your field might be, you know, your field might be HR, you know, employee side, or it could be sales. They might be perfectly content. But what if you could do more? What if you could like bring fantastic ideas that someone else um, has had simply because they think differently from the way you think? So um, I think that that's definitely the first thing that I would say. It's a good idea to look at it globally. Um, from our perspective, um, if our partners are successful, we are successful. If If they do great with sales, if they share enthusiasm, with other people about the business it's good for everybody it's we're all playing the same game here um and from the employee side it's you know the sometimes people look at organizations and and think and say you know like all all they care about is getting promoted all they care about is um you know when am i gonna get the next you know piece of um you know the, the next salary increase or whatever it is and this is is very very um it's a very narrow view. I think um, people know that they cannot get promoted every year. People know that as much as things have changed and the pace of working in big to small organizations um, is different now, you know, especially after the pandemic, um, there's other things that people value. And you have to look at it from a generational perspective, um, which I think is very new as an idea. Uh, not every generation wants the same thing or needs the same thing. Um, and you have to look at it from the development part. If you are in a job that is just fine, you know, you're okay, you're content, maybe maybe you're not, um, um, you're not growing as fast as you wish you, you were. Um, or on the other hand, if you're doing a job that's a bit routine and, you know, it's not that much fun, where do you get, where do you get the, the push to stay in an organization for longer. And that is if you feel you're upskilling, if you feel that you're growing, if you feel that you're getting the push somewhere else. So thinking that, you know, salary increase is everything, 
it's I think it's the wrong way to look at it because you have to be able to upskill people without the fear of you know losing them because you are giving something back and that's really what matters and if you look at the generation like I was mentioning um, I am a millennial I work with people who are you know from other generations you know Gen X um, baby boomers and so on and and we also have a new generation coming onto the workplace quite soon you know you have to look at what other generations need in the workplace whether it is again sales or it is employee from an HR point of view um, recognition is huge you know in our generation we want recognition we just want people to acknowledge the work that has been done so you know even in the training point the section right so Make sure you give certificates, try and have leaderboards, try and bring these uh, recognitions out there where other people can see it and when, where they can share it. Um, whereas, you know, for, um, for younger people, it's all about accessibility. Are you making sure they can access it easily? Are you making sure that you are catering to, you know, you know, phones and uh, different types of phones and tablets and can they use a QR code? Can you connect quicker? Um, so these are all things you need to, to bear in mind. And if you're not looking at it globally, you are going to miss out on some of these things because different countries are evolving at different pace. That's great advice. Um, Valeria, I want to thank you for um, joining us today on today's podcast. This has been just a fantastic conversation. And congratulations on the success that you've had with your global learning and development strategy. I think it's just amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.